Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, a fundamental threat as the United Nations vows to combat antibiotic resistance, we look back at one concerning case here in the United States. Plus, the challenge of treating eating disorders and why anti-obesity efforts in schools could be backfiring. And scientists say they've discovered a unique and dizzying treatment for kidney stones. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Amy Montemiro. And I'm Noah Levitt. We'll get to all those stories in a moment. But first, a quick look at some of the top health headlines this week. This week, federal officials are investigating an E. coli outbreak that has sickened at least seven people in four states, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. The CDC and Department of Agriculture say beef products are the likely cause and believe they have traced the outbreak to the Adams Farm Slaughterhouse in Athol, Massachusetts. Adams Farm is voluntarily recalling beef, veal, and bison products due to the possible contamination. The items were shipped to farmers markets, retailers, and restaurants in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and eastern New York, and might have been shipped to neighboring states. To see a full list of recalled products, visit fsis.usda.gov. There's a new measure of the global toll of air pollution. According to the World Health Organization, 92% of people live in places where the air is dirtier than WHO guidelines. And people living in these polluted locations face an increased risk of heart disease, stroke, and cancer. According to the WHO, 3 million deaths each year are tied to air pollution, with nearly 90% of those deaths occurring in low- and middle-income countries. Health officials in Thailand are investigating four suspected cases of Zika-related microcephaly. The cases, in three infants and a 36-week unborn baby, are believed to be the first in Southeast Asia. Since January, Thailand has reported 349 cases of the Zika virus, including 25 pregnant women. This week, the Philippines also reported its first case of a pregnant woman infected with Zika. The United Nations now calls antibiotic resistance a, quote, fundamental threat. Last week at a meeting of the UN General Assembly, 193 nations signed a declaration to combat antibiotic resistance. A key goal will be reducing the misuse of antibiotics in humans, animals, and agriculture. We've covered the threat of antibiotic resistance before, and in the light of this UN declaration, we wanted to replay a story we did back in June, on June 3rd, about a concerning case here in the United States. And it all centered on a drug called colistin. Take a listen. A so-called superbug that is resistant to an antibiotic of last resort called colistin was recently found in a Pennsylvania woman with a urinary tract infection. That bug, called the MCR1 gene, was also found in a sample of an intestine from a pig. Repeated exposure to antibiotics can cause some bacteria to become resistant to drugs, and that MCR1 gene was first discovered six months ago by scientists in China. The U.S. has seen colistin-resistant bacteria before, but this is more concerning because it's carried on a piece of DNA called plasmid. According to Bill Hannage, associate professor of epidemiology, this could allow the gene to be more rapidly exchanged, allowing other bacteria to become resistant. These things have gone from being nowhere to being here in really a little over six months. What we are worried about is a possible shuffling of all of these different resistance genes into a, like a single bug, which is resistant to everything. And that is certainly a prospect now, but we don't know what that bug will be. We don't know how successful it will be. Scientists like Hannage say that the threat of antibiotic-resistant bacteria will grow in the years ahead. So what can be done to fight this? 
Well, one step, says Hanage, is increasing surveillance so that scientists can more quickly identify when bacteria have become drug-resistant. Another step is changing the way the antibiotics are used. Hanage says that this means using diagnostic tools to more accurately match drugs with a patient's condition. Hanage also says that this would be different than the common use of so-called broad-spectrum antibiotics. We want to come up with ways of rapidly identifying which drugs work on which bacteria. So if, you've got, if you go into a doctor's office and you are saying that you're worried about something and he's thinking of giving you antibiotics, then you can, give, you can do a test which will rapidly identify whether or not the, one of the bugs which is in you is resistant, what they are susceptible to, and then you can go off and get the drugs which are going to work against the thing which is causing disease in you. One of the difficulties is that medicine isn't inherently and rightfully so conservative with a small C practice. So we have been working with these broad spectrum antibiotics mostly because of the fact that if somebody shows up in a hospital with a positive blood culture and a fever, rather than figure out what the thing is resistant to, you just want to treat with something that you're pretty sure is going to work. And that means we treat people with things that have a wide range of action, but that also creates a lot of selection for anything which is resistant. And as a result of that, we've been seeing this continuously rising tide of resistance. So if we could be smarter uh, with what we do, we could use the, best, use the right drug on the right organism, then that would really help. But that requires both new narrow-spectrum antibiotics and it requires effective diagnostics in order to be able to figure out where to best use them. When it comes to your risk of contracting these type of bacteria, experts say you're unlikely to be exposed out in the street, for example. Instead, we're likely to see these drug-resistant strains appear more in hospitals or in chronic care facilities where patients are already taking large number of antibiotics. Again, that was our story from June 3rd on antibiotic resistance in the United States. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we've covered this topic extensively. And we'll have linked to some more stories on antibiotic resistance on our website hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. Eating disorders are serious public health issues that are misunderstood, underfunded, and often untreated. That was the view of experts during a recent panel discussion hosted by the Forum at the Harvard Chan School. More than 30 million Americans are battling eating disorders, and experts say that these conditions have the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric disorder. Despite that, recognition of conditions like anorexia or bulimia is often low, screening is inadequate, and in many cases, insurance companies do not cover necessary treatments. The causes are also complex, experts say. They include images of impossible-to-obtain physiques in the medium or the modeling industry, but another factor may be the anti-obesity efforts, especially in schools. Claire Misko, chief executive officer of the National Eating Disorders Association, explained why these efforts can often backfire. Unfortunately, schools haven't been screening um, for eating disorders, and there's been so much focus on the obesity epidemic and a lot of uh, very well-intentioned obesity prevention programs. Um, What we're hearing from our constituents is they're actually backfiring because of the intense focus on weight and the numbers on the scale. So we hear um, from people who cite these school weigh-ins or BMI report cards um, as the start of their obsession. Now, not to say that it caused it, but that it was certainly a factor. So we really, again, need to think about how we're educating kids holistically and pushing for a more holistic approach to health and taking the focus away 
um, from weight and the number on the scale. And in fact, um, this recent American Academy of Pediatrics report um, says just that. It's much more about talking about health, what makes your body feel good, um, what exercise gives you strength. Um, it's much of a, it's a very, very different approach from um, this shame-based approach, which really, really reinforces weight stigma, which we know actually does not have any health benefits whatsoever. Misko says that recovery for those battling eating disorders often includes individual and sometimes family therapy, as well as fostering healthy eating habits. Finally in this episode, scientists say they've discovered a unique treatment for painful kidney stones, roller coasters. Researchers from Michigan State found that riding a roller coaster helps patients pass stones naturally with a nearly 70% success rate. So how did they test this? Well, scientists created a tiny model kidney filled with stones and urine in a backpack, and they took it on 20 roller coaster rides. About 64% of the stones passed while riding in the backseat of a roller coaster. The results have since held up through more than 200 tests. The researchers admit they're not precisely sure what's happening, but lead author David Wardinger tells NBC News that it's like, quote, jostling your cookies. Basically, the idea is that the twists and turns on a roller coaster can help move the stones from your kidney into the ureter, which is the tube that takes urine down to the bladder and out of your body. The researchers do say that small size is key here. Any stone bigger than four or five millimeters could get stuck. And they also don't recommend that people just run out to the nearest roller coaster if they do have a kidney stone. More research is needed, and they say you should still go see your doctor first. And as someone who's had kidney stones and doesn't really like roller coasters, this is this research is kind of fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Well, you don't need to run out to a roller coaster just yet. We do still need some more research. That's true. I'll wait. I'll wait till the follow-up studies and, the, the and, then, and then make a decision. Okay. That's all for Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemiro. As always, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher.